Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah with you in the Kintec studio. Still to come, Irfan Gaffar will join us. His take on what's to come next for the Vancouver Canucks and maybe an update on uh, Connor Garland's situation with the team. We'll get to that coming up with our Canucks insider, Irfan Gaffar, just after five o'clock at an hour two of the show. Uh, but right now, joining us, uh, NHL Network and Sport Logic, it's Mike Kelly. As uh, we try to figure out just how real these Canucks are. Thanks for this, Mike. How are you? Hey, guys. My pleasure. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, for making time as always. And uh, Canucks are 9-2-1. and one. They beat up on the Oilers last night. You know, the ongoing conversation we've had here is how real are the Vancouver Canucks? And a lot of people are starting to buy more and more shares. How do you view this Canucks hot start to the season? Look, I think a lot of it has been earned, and that's a good thing. Um, uh, like, do you think they're going to win 62 games this year? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Right? No, yeah. and, and I don't either. So, and I think any logical Canucks fan would would agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, right there, then you're saying you agree that there's going to be some regression here, to some extent. Um, I don't think it's going to be to the point that we're talking about a team missing the playoffs. Like, mm-hmm. I think they're a good team, and and I'll. I'm going to eat crow on this one. Like, I didn't think they were a playoff team before the season started. I I thought the blue line was going to have some issues. Um, He wasn't sure about the depth. Thought they'd have to rely so much on Demko. And and I know he's brilliant, and I've I've been pumping his tires for years. But um, I thought it put a lot of strain on him. So, look, they look good. They look really good. And and I think the encouraging thing is, number one, like, the way they play, man, they come out like like a house on fire. Mm -hmm. And, And they... Um, defensively are pretty good and then you've got Demko on top of that and that makes you great in terms of just the goals you're giving up. Offensively, sure, they're scoring at a higher rate than they're going to be able to continue, I'm sure of that. Um, but even if it cools off, I think you're still looking at a team that's um, that's going to score enough. So, yeah, how real are they? And They're a playoff team. Well, I mean, they certainly look like a team that that is exceeding expectations. And and you're right. It is going to be sustainable to some degree to, to be that competitive team. And I think some of the things that we're seeing, at least from anecdotal evidence of us watching the game, is they're not giving up the same type of quality chances off the rush, the same type of odd man chances mm-hmm. going the other way. Like, What are you kind of seeing in some of the data that may suggest what they're doing in transition may be fairly good compared to the rest of the league? Yeah, it's a great eye by you, and you're right. They, they're they're tenth, sorry, ninth right now in the league in terms of giving up rush chances. So they're not giving up a ton, just under six a game. Um, and what they're doing offensively, like they're not producing a ton of those chances either, but they're scoring on a boatload of them. That again may cool down a little bit, but that's fine. Like I'd I'd rather be overextending myself offensively than defensively. Um, and and then you look at the differentials. So that's what are you scoring off the rush versus allowing. Um, Vancouver's been outstanding. The only team with a better differential is Vegas. And, uh, like, they've given up, to my count, three goals against off the rush. It's it's best in the league. Um, Demko's a big part of that, but mm-hmm. the goalie's a part of the team. And I, I always allow for that as well. Like, it's not like everything's going to break even because, you know, goaltending's equal. It's not. They've got one of the best in the world. So, 
it's very encouraging. Um, you win that area of the game. And that, man, when Travis Green was there, and I think Travis did a, a really good job trying to get the most out of the group that he had, but they didn't have a transition game. Like, they had nothing going up the ice, and they were getting killed going back. Um, and it was it was a struggle. Uh, they look night and day right now compared to, to a couple of years ago. Well, and, uh, you know, it's not like Thatcher Demko is a journeyman goalie uh, having a hot start himself. We know that this is, you know, on, on talent alone, one of the, the better goaltenders in the National Hockey League. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's just the, 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 the way this team is sort of – been viewed is they they've got the the few high-end players and what what else do you have around it and i feel like rick tockett is has managed this in a way of okay let, let's try to get everybody to buy in to a defensive style of hockey let's have as mistake-free a hockey game as we can have and i'm gonna bet my guys elias Patterson, quinn hughes one of those guys is gonna make a difference on a night-to-night basis and we've seen that play out to be true especially in some of these tighter games against you know dallas or even the the new york game last saturday where they've played really tight games against some of the the top teams in the league yeah, that, that Dallas game to me was maybe their most impressive game, I think, of the year. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was the one where I'm like, all right, you're rolling a little bit. You're feeling good. You know, you, you beat up on some teams that you should beat up on. Dallas is no joke. Um, and the guy at the other end uh, in net is every bit as good as yours. So let's see what happens. And they won that type of game. Uh, confidence building for sure. Like what you're talking about reminds me of a team that won two cups in a row and got to a third, and that's Tampa Bay. Like, they have elite shooting talent on those teams. They added arguably the best goalie in the world, and Vancouver can make that claim right now with how Demko's playing. And they said, they gave up chances. Like, those Tampa teams gave up chances. But they would bet that if we give up X amount of great A's and we get the same amount, our shooting talent and our goalie are going to tip it in our favor far more often than not. That's kind of, in a nutshell, what they did, and it worked. If Vancouver does the same thing, in like just in a general sense, um, I'm not betting against those guys. Like you, you can make a case that Pedersen's been the best forward in the league right now, and mm-hmm. and man, a, a monkey could make a case that Quinn Hughes has been the best <laughs> defenseman in the world. So things are looking good. And, and I think that's where you know sometimes when we have these discussions, and, and obviously you know I love the work you guys do at Sports Logic, and I try to get my hands on as much proprietary data as I can to see what's going on. Because as much as the public data is very valuable, it gives us a good indication of what's going on. It's not quite as indicative, especially when it comes to the quality off the rush, the quality of some like, and not every high danger scoring chance is the same, right? In terms of value and things that happen yep. that that lead to, the, to to that shot, how much east west movement, how much puck possession. There's so many things you have to factor in to see the quality of a scoring chance and I think when we look at those numbers it's easy to look at it and say well hey the Canucks are out you know outscoring um, their expected goals and right now obviously they're on a PDO run but not that they're going to keep their numbers where they are with the PDO at 109 or 110 whatever it's at but right. usually the teams that are good defensively and have the good scoring talent they usually operate above those normal levels anyways don't they? To a point, right? Um, it, it, when you're this far out of whack, like you're basically saying, can we buck this trend that no one's ever bucked to this degree? Right. I don't course. know, as long as we have this information, <laughs> right? Right. Not likely. Um, but yeah, to a point. So um, the best players in the world, like if you want to get a little more granular, look at expected yeah. goals and, and models like that that factor in pre-shot movement and those kind of things you're talking about. 
best players in the world, like an Austin Matthews, can outperform his expected goals by like 20% every year. So, and he does um, because it's a regression model. So, sure, you can to a point. Um, But like I said, I think this is going to come down somewhat. The Canucks are going to go through a stretch where they lose three out of four or four out of five. Like, it's going to happen. Um, or, Or they just don't play well for a certain amount of time. But from what I've seen and what I actually believe in watching the team and the way Rick Talk has got them playing and what I think they're capable of um, is moving off of my very stupid opinion at the start of the season into one that I think is more realistic, which is like, I think they're a playoff team and I think they can challenge for top three in that division, especially when you consider that Calgary, who I thought would be in that mix, Edmonton, who I was sure would be in that mix, are nowhere to be found right now. Well, hey, oh, we, we're always willing to change our minds when more information presents itself, and, and obviously that's something that you want to see. Is it fair to maybe assess that it is misleading how many goals the Canucks are scoring and the differentials they have in terms of you know goal differentials? Yeah. But I, th- I can see a hockey team that's probably going to win a lot of games, but maybe more 3-2 games, maybe more 2-1 games than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, well, I, again, I think they're capable of it um, because their defensive numbers uh, in terms of process are not, I mean, they're not world beater numbers, right. but they're, they're, they're fine. Like, you, you, can, you can win and be happy enough with that. Um, and then, again, Demko is just that X factor on top of all of it. Um, and so if that's what has to happen, like if, if things regress offensively to a point where you're going through a stretch of games, maybe you play five, six, seven games and you're averaging, you know, two and a half goals a game or maybe, you know, bumping up to three and it's not what it's been, you can still win some of those games. Like I, I am confident in uh, Vancouver's ability to, to do that if they need to for, you know, a certain amount of time. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, Quinn Hughes and uh, the, the general assessment is, yeah, he's taken a step this year and we, we've all got our theories on, on what we see that Hughes has been able to do. Uh, what, what are you seeing uh, with, with Quinn Hughes right now and how he's been able to take his game to another level? Uh, I guess maturation of a guy who was always elite, um, maybe just playing X amount of games. Um, obviously, he's, he's got a D partner that he's real comfortable with in, in Philip Ronick. Um, someone who had some good underlying numbers early in his career and uh, has been really good there. So, um, Hughes, okay, so I, I happily admitted how wrong I was about this team this year, I think. Uh, I, I will pump my own tires yeah. just talking about what I've always thought about Quinn Hughes. Um, I thought he was kind of right there with Kale McCarr when they were coming into the league and probably held on to that belief longer than most people. I think what we're seeing now is Quinn Hughes starting to put himself back in those kind of conversations where right now he's been the best defenseman in the league, but can he be a top two, three, four defenseman in the league going forward? I think he can. Um, I think his defensive kind of woes uh, have been a little... Uh, blown out of proportion um and, and his offensive ability like I, I put this graphic out the other day on my twitter account it blew my mind like he he's for, for several years now and this year's no different he's got the puck on a stick more than anybody by a lot um per game he's up like over three minutes a game and nobody else is over three he's got like a 25 second lead i think on drew dowdy mm-hmm. which is great like you've got to be super talented to command the puck that much in a hockey game um he has the lowest turnover rate of any defenseman. So per possession, how often does he turn the puck over? Lower than anybody. Like to do anything at that amount of volume with that amount of precision it blows my mind. And, and that's where Quinn, I think, has really gotten to the next level. Like everything he touches is the right play at the right time. And sometimes like 
plays that make you kind of shake your head and wonder how he could do that. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's been incredible watching him, especially when you get to see him up close and personal every game and his skating and how he controls the game. It is just remarkable. And mm-hmm. as far as adding Philip Peronik to the mix, and we were all kind of wondered, we all know he is a top four defenseman based on how he performed his final season in Detroit and, and how his career has gone. But how good has been the big question? And I think he's been lights out to begin the season as well. He's got 13 points, all assists, however, in 12 games. And it seems like he he's doing his part in controlling the game as well when he's out there. Yeah, and and I always I always think you got to give a lot of credit to. We talk about the superstar defenseman, so I mentioned Kale McCarr. Devon Taves is easily, in my view, a top ten defenseman in the league, and he's great. Um, and nobody talks about him, right? Because it's always on Kale. So it it we, we've seen Quinn Hughes play with Chris Tanev and was really good, right? We've seen Quinn Hughes play with other guys, like I don't need to mention them, um, but that's <laughs> not been as good. Uh, and now he's playing with Ronick, who's who's very good. So I, I think he's got like, um, I, I build a player archetype model every summer and, and try to look at different categories for different guys. And he's someone that's always come out well among other defensemen in terms of playmaking and even puck moving. You know, his defensive numbers are good. Um, and I think now like we're, we're seeing a great match. You never, I guess you never really know how it's going to go. It's, there's been lots of times where two really good players have been put together on the blue line and it hasn't worked for whatever reason. Um, this this looks like a real legit top pairing for sure. Uh, I have a, a question, Mike, more in a, a general sense. Like last night, um, you know, the Oilers are pounding at the Canucks, right? And uh, they, they, they don't get a goal. They get the one goal, and the shot clock is like 19-2 at that point. And yeah. For the rest of the game, the, the Canucks actually, uh, you know, pretty well handled the Oilers through the back half of the first and then the, the second period as well, and they turned the score around. But, you know, you look at the, the at least some of the public data with these two teams, the Canucks – you know, they've, they've given up a lot of chances, but they've also led the most in games. And then you have the flip side of the Oilers where, you know, you look at their public metrics and, you know, they're amongst the best in the league. Like, wow, there's going to be a lot of turnaround for the Oilers here, but it, it's still not working. And they defend really poorly, which is cratering some of those things. But I also wonder how much does score effects, you know, factor into these sorts of things and, uh, you know, add to the noise of some of the early season data that we have? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Uh, always something that's worth looking at. Um, I think with Edmonton, like I was looking at this earlier, when when the score is within a goal, uh, one way or the other, um, just looking at their XG numbers, it, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, offensively, like Vancouver's is, is better. Um, I haven't really gone on a deep dive on that. It, it's a really good question though, because it's a really important thing. Um, I, I was looking at Edmonton just in a general sense earlier today, and like. They, man, they need, I almost feel like if you, and like, tell me what you guys think, but when you talk about goaltending, if you say like, yeah, they need better goaltending, people just assume you're kind of letting everything else off the hook, Mm -hmm. Um, which isn't, it's not the case because like we saw how many breakdowns last year, my God, it was was brutal. Um, And Skinner wasn't why they lost the game, but boy, if he had stopped that second goal, Mm -hmm. maybe things could have been different. I think that's your point, right? And David said after the game a couple of times, like, well, blah, 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 and then we're chasing the game, and then we're chasing the game. I feel like that 2-1 goal happened, and it just sunk the whole team. And again, you give up a look like that on a controlled breakout. Like, to me, that cannot happen. (laughs) Like, the controlled breakout is the one time you are like, the other team is like, okay, set up defensively however you want. Now we're coming. 
Nothing should surprise you. Oh, crap, here's Suter right down the pipe. Yeah. Just for fun, here's Connor Garland on the left side with a yeah. one-timer option who was wide open. Like, my God. So, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. I don't even remember what the question was. Edmonton, I've been talking about them a lot. It's, it's not good. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and a lot of it reminds us, because we watched Vancouver be a disaster for many years, especially early last year when they had some hopes with Boudreaux and it was falling apart. And, and we saw some yeah. similarities. Now, goaltending was a bit different, of course, but they were giving up some chances that you just couldn't believe and just giving space to players that they just shouldn't be giving space to. Uh, last one for us here before we let you go. Are the Sharks sure. as bad as uh, the numbers indicate? Like, are they hi- going to be historically bad? Because this is astonishing what we're seeing right now. I know. Like, there, there's so many jokes you can make, right? And honestly, I feel like it's, it's you know, it's past the point for me just because I feel so bad for yeah. the players on the team. Um, okay, so they're dead last in, in goals against. They're dead last in goals for. Let's go to the process. Expected <laughs> goals. Dead last, dead last. Um, you look at everything else, I mean, in any kind of key category at best they're 28th 29th so it's bad it's as bad as it looks it's as bad as the record indicates uh the one thing that's been good i think uh is the goaltending like Mm -hmm. you're gonna put up some halfway okay numbers when you face the kind of volume they do and and man they give up a lot of chances too but like i think blackwood's played pretty darn well all things considered um and yeah, it's it's historically bad, and I know Mike Greer like came out and had some comments about it um, recently um, about what they need to do and everything. But like, it just made me immediately think of this is the team that was built. Yeah, like they're not good. They can't be that. It doesn't have to be ten one, ten two every night for sure, but they're not good. They could be a historically bad team, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's like uh, Mike. You built this team. You you want it. You built it to be bad. It's just not this. <laughs> My not house this is bad. falling apart. I built it out of styrofoam. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, it's not good. And I know you're rebuilding and all that, right? Like you, you get it, but um, and I don't think any of us thought it would be this bad coming yeah. in, right? So a bit of it's hindsight, but I don't think you can let it continue to a point where it's humiliating and you don't even have a chance to compete. Like that's. That's not good for anybody. Um, so hopefully they get it turned around a little bit. I tell you one thing: if they win on Thursday, yeah, there's a certain province right next to you guys. Yeah. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. I don't even want to say it. Yeah. I, I cheer for chaos. I just want yeah. the Sharks to claim, gamble off waivers, throw them in net, and let's see what happens. Uh, that would be the the ultimate chaos. Hey, Mike. Uh, really appreciate yeah. your time. Uh, you've been really generous with it today. Thanks for this. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good chatting with you, and, and keep up the good work. It's fun following you. There is uh, Mike Kelly joining us uh, here on uh, on Canuck Central. There's actually uh, one team in the league that at 5-on-5 five five has a lower save percentage than the San Jose Sharks. And uh, is it a team in Alberta? It is. But it's not the team you may think in Alberta. No, it's not the team yeah. you may think it is. <laughs> It's the Calgary Flames. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah. I thought Jacob Markstrom was playing well. Yeah. And their defense, I thought, was, you know, yeah. personnel-wise. We had the discussion yesterday, tiering NHL defenses. Yeah. And based on personnel, how high the Flames should be. But based on form and current level of play, it's pretty bad. No, not uh, not working out well. Not great. Uh, bottom three are uh, the Calgary Flames, the San Jose Sharks, and then uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. And... Uh, Hence why the uh, 
Calgary Flames and Oilers are also off to uh, poor starts, at least part of their reason. Yeah, it is a big part of it. Yeah, a lot goes into it. Like, it's a collective effort when things are that bad. Oh, we've never, seen that. Right? Yes. We've seen it in Vancouver, right? Um, but you know how we, we were talking to Mike, and he said before the season he had the Canucks not being a playoff team. Now, you know, through 12 games, seeing what he's seen, he's like, well, I have to change my mind. And you see more information, you change your mind. Um, we were having a conversation about the San Jose Sharks. And I was like, I'll take the over on everything. I'm like, come on. Like, they can't be like, historically bad. Is it National yeah. Hockey League players? I'm, I'm sure they'll still get like 40 points, win 20 games. Um, with more information, I'm also changing my mind. Yeah. I'm fading everything, San Jose. It's not just that the results are bad. It's like everything is bad. Everything is bad. They are an awful hockey yeah, team. Yeah, it's it's the worst hockey team I've seen in the cap era. No it's, doubt. I didn't think so heading into the season. I'm like, okay, teams will find a way. Coyotes a couple of years ago were like, yeah, is this the worst roster we've ever seen? They work hard, get 78 points or whatever it was. So they can't even put up hard? resistance. No, it's w- tough. <laughs> Listen, they they got knifed, knifed ten. One and ten two and back to back games. Yeah, stuff that hasn't happened in like sixty years in the National Hockey League. It's just, it's pathetic. Yeah, I mean, we thought the Canucks I, were historically I, bad, giving up multi goal leads. Like, yeah, at least they weren't losing. I kind of get Mike Greer going in there and be like, "Come on, guys, like be better." Like you've built a pretty bad hockey team yeah. there, Mike. What sh- should they go and trade for help so they can get to forty points? <laughs> <laughs> so we can be less bad. And I, I get. Can this, we protect our goalies a little bit better, guys? I, I get that the plan is to lose, but is the plan really to miss the playoffs now five years in a row and look like you're at least three to four years away? And the fans there are already having a hard time yeah. showing up. Well, you're they don't. Doing, like, are you doing irrevocable damage to what's happening there? Yeah, probably. It. it so they don't have. They've got. An extra first this year and an extra second round pick, but they haven't been like accumulating a ton of extra assets mm. while they've missed the playoffs each of the last four years. Because they have all these hor- horrible contracts nobody wants. And they don't have anything to trade either, yeah. like to gain extra assets. Like, what are you trading off of your roster that's going to get you extra assets? Was- nobody wants Mike Hoffman or Kevin LeBanc. Nobody's going to give you a first round pick or anything like that close to it for, for Anthony Duclair, who's arguably their most desirable unrestricted free agent. You're not trading Thomas Hurdle for anything of value because he's got so much time and, and money tapped into his contract. Everything they have is pretty rough. So, Godspeed, San Jose Sharks fans. They got the pick for Timo Meyer last year. Yeah. And they have a second from Timo Meyer as well. They get picked up a little a little bit prospect-wise. They get the first for Eric Carlson. But you're talking about the guys that are drafting here being three, four, five years away. Yeah. You know, people were... There were a gas when I mentioned it might be a decade in total before the San Jose Sharks get back to the postseason. They missed the playoffs four yeah. years in a row. What was the line? Five. 2030, Josh, you gave us? Uh, 2030. We got on the mailbag last Friday. I'm taking the over now. On uh, on twenty thirty, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was twenty thirty was um, it might have been Stanley Cup Stanley Cup, and I took the contender? under on yeah. yeah. contender. I mean, I was I was I was even took took it a step farther. Are they even going to make the playoffs by twenty thirty? <laughs> I mean, I, I hope they would at least once or something, but yeah. there's no guarantee they're making the playoffs anytime in the next five years. Uh, I got some extra thoughts on this, but we'll get to it uh, after five thirty. Up next, Irfan Gafar is going to join us. Canucks insider, his take on uh, what's happening right now with Vancouver and an update maybe on uh, Connor Garland's situation. That's next on Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Canucks uh, about to embark on a three-game roadie across eastern Canada. And then when they return home, it'll be also a return to Vancouver for one Bo Horvat. So uh, that's something to look forward to next oh. week. Is he going to be healthy, though? I guess that's uh, it's going to be the question right now with uh, with one Bo Horvat. But uh, first, the three games across Eastern Canada to be excited about for the Vancouver Canucks. This hour of Canucks Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Let's bring in our next guest. He is Canucks Insider. Joins us every Tuesday. It's Irfan Gaffar. What's happening, Irf? It's more than just a three-game Eastern road trip. It's it's the three-game media gauntlet that is Eastern <laughs> Canada. Yeah, and uh, it's not going to be uh, questions about uh, how much does management trust Bruce Brudro this year. Uh, this year, it's all about uh, how good are you, Vancouver? And uh, that's you know, it would be funny if the Canucks just like fall flat on their face for the next three games. <laughs> Everybody's like, ah, they were frauds. That's uh, what the Eastern media would say, at least. Hundred percent. I mean, they're probably hoping it happens. But um, look, I, I think that for this team right now, they're going in there. They're the third best team in the National Hockey League. Only two teams better than them are what Boston and Vegas. Like mm-hmm. they're playing some really, really, really good hockey. They're winning games in all sorts of different ways. Albeit some of their guys that are some of the teams that they played against. You know, the Edmonton Oilers are in complete shambles right now. But it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I think that you know you mentioned the, the questions to Boost Boudreau about, you know, what is his team and, and things like that. But I think for us to look at the Vancouver Canucks, it's, it's, you know, we're looking at how good they are now, but how good do they think they can be? And I think that that's the question now. Because you've seen, you've seen a sample size of it, but you go through the adversity of a season and obviously it's going to be a long way, but how good does this team think that they can be? And I think that's the next question, next set of questions that has to be answered. Yeah, and I think that's something that's going to take some time here to develop, right? To see truly how they fall in. But I think even people that are somewhat skeptical usually are looking at this and saying just the way they're playing, the way they're invested as a team and, and how hard they're working, how prepared they look and all the things we used to criticize them for, for their lack of soft preparation, starting games off slowly, not responding to challenges, getting too high oftentimes on their runs and, and not being grounded enough to be able to handle whenever adversity hits. It's only 12 games, but those factors where we're seeing real fragility with this team don't seem to be there right now. No, I mean, look, they got punched in the mouth in, in, in the early going of that yeah. hockey game the other night. And, you know, uh, if Demko doesn't, you know, keep him in it, obviously, the way that he's been playing, you know, Vesna candidate early on, obviously, but um, they, they were able to handle that adversity. And then they score one, and then the floodgates open, and then they score two, and then Pia Suter scores. And, and you're just getting contributions from everyone everywhere. And, I mean, the top dogs, yes, they're definitely the top dogs. Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. And, I mean, uh, I remember having this conversation with you guys years ago that this team is going to go as far as 43 and 40 take them and right now those two look pretty damn good yeah and uh, look you got the right now patterson would be probably the favorite for the hart trophy yep. uh you've got hughes the favorite for the norris and you would have demko the favorite for the vesna you know there, it's not yep. too often that one team has all three of those guys on the same roster no, and it's not often that one team has those three guys, like three guys that are that important to a hockey team. Yeah, like, you know, you usually just have a goalie that means so much, or you have, you know, your 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 leading guy, your top dog. 
But this team has three guys that mean so much to that team. It's wild. And we haven't even started to talk about the way that JT Miller's been playing this season. Yeah. You know, on JT Miller, um, how do you think the organization feels about the bet they made on him last season? I think they feel fine. I think that, you know, you're going to have to pay him no matter what. I mean, I don't think that you were going to trade him. I don't think that that was going to happen. And, you know, you, you trade to get him. And, you know, you give him, obviously, the contract. But, I mean, this guy's been deserving. It's, it's everything that, that else that he's doing. You know, he's, he's leading on and off the ice. He's getting into dirty areas. He's fighting. He's, he's, you know, protecting his guys, standing up for his teammates. He's scoring. Um, it's one of those things where you look at JT Miller when he came here as Vancouver Canuck in his first season and he lit it up. And then now you see it again and say, okay, well, this guy really is worth, worth this much money. Yes, the contract's going to... It's going to get old pretty soon, but you're, bang, you're getting your bang for your buck right now, and I think of that's exactly what they want. Well, it, it always felt to me, and uh, not to, to relitigate everything, but it always felt that they knew, like when Rutherford and Alvin took over, they knew they were going to have to make a choice on one of Miller or Horvat, and it always felt like their preference was Miller more than Horvat, unless Horvat was really going to consider taking a team-friendly deal. And once that was off the table, it was it was it seemed obvious in their minds which guy they they were going to end up keeping. And like Miller, th- that bet's pan off right now. And you know he, he's also getting the best out of Brock Besser. Uh, they found a, a a trio, the third Musketeer and Phil DiGiuseppe right now. But to to think that JT Miller would be centering the Canucks shutdown line a year after what we saw last October and November from the player. It's pretty wild turn of events. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think going back to the Bo conversation, I think that they really had a conversation amongst themselves, you know, within that management group and, and the ownership group and said, who do we feel like we can win with? And the answer was astoundingly JT Miller. You know, he's a guy, I mean, there's no disrespect to Bo, and if you're looking at a good career with the Stanley Cup, it's great. But at that moment and at that time, it's who can we win with and who do we think that if our, windows, our window of opportunity is this large, who is going to be the guy that we hope can, that can get us there? And everyone thought it, w- it, it was going to be J.T. Miller. Yeah, and I mean, just in terms of just a leadership I think he's shown and finally channeling that emotion the right way I think was a big big part of it and I think just as much as we can talk here about Bo versus JT but I think the biggest thing that that trade allowed to happen was a guy like Quinn Hughes stepping into being the new leader of the team being able to change the leadership group out having Pedersen join in there as well and I'm not trying to make this about JT versus Bo but I do think one of the reasons why you wanted to shake things up to that degree was you were never going to change the true leadership and and the so-called culture and mindset unless you really made a sizable change to it and I think a huge byproduct of Quinn Hughes' great play is he's been bestowed a greater responsibility as a captain of the team yeah, and he's shown it in every way, shape, and form, right? Not only off the ice, but off the ice, too. And, I mean, you look, Thatcher Demko, I think it was in his post-game interview with, uh, with Kate Pedersen and on the ice when he said that, you know, we're, we're trying to change the culture here um, in Vancouver. And, you know, he's obviously speaking to the fans. The fans in the building can hear that interview. But it's one of those things where you look at it, and they even know that. And they, I think they can see it changing, and they, they kind of see it evolving. It's not there yet. It's not even close. To be completely honest, I mean, I bet you Frick Hawkins looked at some of these games. There are a lot of things that he hopes and knows that they can fix in their game. But um, as long as this team, you know, can find itself grounded, stay humble, 
um, stay consistent and, and stay healthy, you know, who, who really knows how far this team can go? Well, uh, so much is going to be answered when they do face their first little bit of adversity, right? Whether it's uh, yeah. a couple of losses or, you know, a game where you get goalied or two games in a row where you get goalied, whatever it might look like. We know that some losses are eventually coming for this team. They're not going to be last year's Bruins with 65 wins. So losses are coming. How do they deal with that? And the way they're playing right now, it doesn't feel like a team that's going to fall into like a seven game stretch where they, they lose all of them or go through a 10 game stretch where they lose seven out of 10 and, and only get a point in a couple of games. Like it's, it just, it it feels like a team, especially the way they've played defensively and how structured they play. I know that's the buzzword around Jim Rutherford's parts, (laughs) but the, the way that they play it feels like they're going to be able to get pretty consistent results even when they're slumping. And that's what ultimately playoff teams have to do. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for, for this group, and you mentioned, you know, the way that they're playing, it's the way that they're able to win games. You know, you can blow out teams like we saw them do, obviously opening night and then do again to the San Jose Sharks. Saw them win tight games like against, uh, the, like against the Dallas Stars, and you saw them come back and win you know, when they got outshot in the first period and they're severely being outplayed and your goalie stands on his head and then, you know what, message goes into the room in the second period, this is not who we are, guys. Let's figure it out and let's get back to our way of playing. And I think when you can win in so many different ways, I think that's one of the signs that you know that you have a pretty good hockey team. Yeah, and at the very least, having guys who are bought in to play whatever play whatever style you're yeah. needed to be successful, and they've been consistent with how they've been wanting to play to start the season, and even carrying over what they did last year with Rick Tockett. Now, obviously, um, a big topic of conversation is always uh, trade rumors, and there's not a lot going on right now across the National Hockey League, and for as much as we talked about the Garland stuff off the bat, I think all our reaction was, this is great. Because it's a great topic of conversation, but let's be real, like nothing's going to be happening anytime soon. It's, it's hard to make any types of moves. And should it be a surprise then when uh, Darren Dreger today mentioned reportedly that the Canucks and, and Connor Garland is kind of quiet, he's not as motivated right now, and also they're still looking to add a defenseman if they can and improve the roster. But the fact that it's gone quiet on Connor Garland, should that surprise anybody? No, not at all. And I don't think you're really, if you were going to improve your roster by being able to trade Connor Garland, you would have already done it by now. Yeah. Right. And I, I just, I just think that that's the reality of it. You know, there wasn't a market for Connor Garland when they tried to trade him a while ago. You know, there isn't a market for Connor Garland right now. I mean, he gets traded here in the next, you know, couple of, couple of days or on this road trip. That's completely different. And he's obviously, according to Dregs, you know, backed up on his word of wanting, wanting out because, you know, he's had since he's seen some success. He's having success. I mean, he's only got two points in the last 10 games. But when your team's playing well, why, why would you want to go anywhere, right? It, it, it benefits you. And maybe in the long run, maybe in a little bit longer, someone's going to take a different look at you, maybe after American Thanksgiving or after Christmas into, into the new year where, you know, teams are kind of looking at things a little bit differently. But um, there's no shock at all that, you know, Connor Garland saying, I want to stay on a good hockey team. Well, yeah, and it's obvious Garland and Bavillier, they, they have – uh, bigger contracts than what the current roles on the roster maybe warrant. But you know yeah. what? Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, n- <laughs> you can't do anything about it, but find a way to make it work. And right now, credit to the players, they are making it work. They're not pouting too much. Like, I think Garland, even though the points aren't really there, that line has played really well. And even Beauvillier, I know he scored a little bit more lately, but you know, that fourth line with Lafferty and Hoaglander is, has been a, a nice little... Uh, it's been a nice... Well, nothing's really not working for the Canucks right now, but... As much as those guys are overpaid for what they're doing for this roster right now, 
there's not many solutions coming in the near future. So while they're here, you've got to make it work somehow. And you know, they've all made it work to this point. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, you know, the end of last season. And even when Rick Tockett was hired and brought men brought in as a head coach, I, I think from that moment, you know, guys started to think a little bit differently. They started to look ahead to this season. Um, they started to look ahead of what, you know, a foundation of, of a good hockey team might be. And, you know, you have guys like, you know, Sergey Gonchar, Adam Foote, Rick Tocca, Daniel Hendrickson, you know, working with the guys almost every day on the ice. I mean, it's four Hall of Famers right there, you know, that, 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 are, that are constantly working with you every single day. I mean, if you're Elias Pedersen or if you're a young guy on that hockey team and you look up and see these guys working with you every single day, I mean, if you're not motivated to go play hockey game and, 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 and play well, there's, there's something definitely wrong. But, um, you know, I, I have to give a lot of credit to Rick and, and his coaching staff because whatever he sold them this summer and heading into this season and his, the way that he had his training camp and the way that the preseason went and everything before leading up to opening night and into the regular season, that team bought into I had my doubts. And look, I, it's very early in the season, really early. There's, there's still things that, you know, can go completely sideways. Guys can get hurt and, and, and things of that nature. But when you look at this hockey team, you know, they can beat a lot of teams on a lot of nights. Now, fast forward to, you know, the playoffs and the Colorado Avalanches of the world and then Vegas Golden Knights in the best of seven series. Um, that, that, that's a little bit different. But on any given night right now, if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with what my team's showing. I mean, why wouldn't they be happy? But as we were mentioning, uh, there are other things the team is trying to do to improve Mm -hmm. the roster. We hear about defense and and trying to add a defenseman. Do you think it's realistic for them to add somebody on the back end outside of signing Ethan Bear if they can? Of course. I I think if they can make a move to try and improve it, they're going to exercise every option. I think they like what they have. They're comfortable with what they have. But if you could get someone to to come in and, you know, um, solidify that, that, that blue line in, in, in a position. I, I think that they'd be more than willing to. I think a forward is going to be a little bit tougher. I just think the market out there for an impact type of forward or something that they might want to in their top six or maybe in their top nine might be a little bit harder to pull off, especially with when yeah. it comes to the cap. But ideally, I think the priority would be hopefully if they can, you know, make a move on the back end and try and solidify, you know, that, that core group of defensemen, then then they'll definitely go ahead and do it. Friedman mentioned uh, how Calgary's already gauging the market for their three <laughs> UFA defensemen, Hannafin, Zadorov, and of course, Tanev. And, you know, there's the romantic story of bringing Tanev home that I'm sure a lot of Canucks fans are <sighs> all about. But uh, do, you, do you think any of those three players would be on the on the radar of this Canucks front office? I don't think Chris Tanev is going to be a member of the Calgary Flames the past the trade deadline. That's no. one. Now, whether that's here or not, I, I don't. I don't think that that's going to happen for sure. No, the Hannafin one's a little bit different, but I mean, you're looking for a guy like Chris Tanev. I know, Sat, you and I have talked about this. Like, I think for if you're the Canucks, you're not going to really try and mortgage a second or or third round pick to to go try and get him, right? I, I think that you know, in free agency, you probably have a conversation. You you look at him and say, okay, well, if you didn't sign in Calgary, you know, there's a reported contract exchange, and obviously, the Tanev camp didn't sign it, then you know, you kind of know what, what his expectations are, kind of what he feels about that organization. So I don't think that the Canucks should rush into things and, and try and do that. But it's an interesting one for sure because, and I was talking about someone the other day, I mean, you, you slot in Chris Tanev, you know, when he plays with Ian Cole, that, like that's your shutdown there. That's not too bad. No. And then you have Myers and Susie on the, as, as the 5-6. Not a bad-looking blue line. 
No, and if if you do end up also signing Ethan Bear at some point on a cheap contract, now you have some depth. And, you know, if you move on Tyler Myers at some point, you have another guy to step in because I don't think Myers will be back next season despite the fact he's playing better now. But I think that's kind of the the big thing here for this this team. Are they able to pull off those types of moves? And I I don't want to, like, take – I don't want to be pessimistic. It's just a lot easier said than done, especially at this point in the season, right? But you're right on Tanev. You know what? If if the cost would be a third-round pick, maybe I could see them doing something like that. Yeah. extending him but they don't have their second this year they already traded it yeah. they don't have a second they have well, their second next well, year i don't think they're trading if, their second and you're not trading your first for chris tanov and extending him so I what if you get a pick for myers and then flip that? sure like they like sure. they did with hammond yeah. for dermot if they right? do something like that like if you can trade uh let's say you can trade myers for a second or a third or something and then yeah. you can flip that pick in the fourth for instance for tanov and you extend him sure i mean you're moving assets around i'm okay with that but i don't see this this canucks team being in a bidding war by any means to try to get chris tanov via trade yeah no i agree with you i i, I think it's going to be tough right it's one of those moves where even any i mean look any move to make right now is tough and forget about just chris tanov but well, they still um, got to open up cap space before they do any of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? exactly, there's, there's a whole lot of a whole, whole lot of other issues that have to come into play before before they even try and make a move. But it's an interesting one, and, and I mean, the conversation is great because we can have this call, you know, this conversation once a week. And look, the team's playing well, and you're now you're not looking at the positive. You're not dwelling on why they're not scoring on the power play, and you know, their you know papers and then people and blogs and, and podcasts and everything isn't going waxing on about how bad they are and what's going to happen and when are they going to fire who. Like, this is a pretty good hockey team. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I had my reservations before the season started, but so far they've proved me wrong. Um, the Edmonton Oilers, they put Jack Campbell on waivers today. I was in the room last night, and, and basically Connor McDavid was just trying to find ways to say my goalie sucks without actually saying my goalie sucks. <laughs> he didn't want to be a bad teammate. Yeah, he didn't want to be a bad teammate. Um, it, it's pretty bleak right now for them, but if you're – as much as they're going through it, you know, it's – Ken Holland doesn't have much space to work with. He's kind of he, he's kind of made his bed and now he's laying in it. Like if this isn't going to work, I don't know what you do with this Oilers team. Yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, I don't care who you have playing in front of you. If your goalie can't get an eight twenty save percentage on any given night, yeah, you're not going to win a lot of hockey games, right? Like that's that. Well, they're just so deflating. Like the suit, like it's the the first Canucks goal. You know, that's a defensive breakdown, and that's Hughes doing Hughes yeah. things. Um, and you're, you know, it goes into in the back door because your own defenseman put it in the net. Um, but the, the second goal just can't go in, right? Like that Suter goal, yeah. Like the Canucks shouldn't be able to move through the neutral zone with that much ease on a controlled breakout. But also, the goalie's got to make a save when the shot's in the middle of the net, right? It's just, it's it's tough. It's it goes both ways for this Edmonton team right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, look, I, I mean, that, that's a Stanley Cup aspiration hockey team. Like, Cup there's people bust. that pick the Edmonton Oilers to win the Stanley Cup. Not only to go to the conference final and lose to Colorado Avalanche again, they, like, this year they were supposed to beat them. And they go and get Jack Campbell and, you know, all these things. And now your your goalie's your going to A. The other goalie stinks too. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it's tough. I mean, like, I... The Evan Bouchard on the Hoaglander not skating. I mean, the Edmonton, the people at Edmonton are absolutely eviscerating that kid. I mean, yeah. and rightfully so, but, oh, it's tough to be an Oilers fan. I mean, it's even worse to be a Flames fan, but I think the Oilers have it worse because they do have two of the best players in the world. Yeah, 
And uh, the Flames just had a lot of bad contracts. Well, and McDavid is like, you know, he's clearly not playing at a hundred percent, and it's just uh, it's pure desperation already for the uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. Well, he doesn't take any faceoffs. Go look at his faceoff numbers. Now something's definitely bugging him. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough right now for Edmonton. Um, it's tough for the Seahawks on Sunday. Hey, damn it! I knew you were going to say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but at least he's like, I need I needed somebody to vent with it's here, a, Irv. It's what it's what makes you such a good broadcaster because you segued into you know just complete crap for two organizations uh, so over fantastic. the weekend. So fantastic. You guys deserve right? to lose last week after how you stole that win from the Browns. The oh, week here we go. We First of all, we didn't, we didn't steal it. We took it and then we borrowed it and, we gave yeah. it, and then we gave it to, and then we gave it to Baltimore. You, you got the win on layaway. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. It was, oh, you know, the crazy thing is like, I get the Lamar Jackson hate and he's like not putting up fantasy points or whatever. Dude, that team just kills teams. Like, that's a good football team. Yeah. yeah. Their their defense like, wasn't, like, projected yeah. to be as good as it has been this year, and it's just it's lights out right yeah. now. Unreal. Uh, all right. Thanks for this. We'll talk next week. All right, gentlemen. Be well. Uh, there he is. Irfan Gaffar joining us, uh, Canucks Insider, uh, here on Canucks Central. And, you know, the, the Calgary thing, I know it's, uh, like, the Tanev situation I've I've made this comment before like nothing like Canucks fans wanting to bring some of their old guys back but it still feels like it would be a really good fit with Chris Tanev it's just seems something that might be cost prohibitive for the Vancouver Canucks yeah I just can't see them giving up significant assets I think the only way they, they do stuff like that is what you mentioned and I do think this is something they're going to be open to at the deadline even if they're in a playoff spot guys flip like one of their pending guys get a pick and then use that pick to maybe go get something else yeah Pardeep asked the question we can hit this here for a few minutes let's just go a little bit long yeah, well, yeah. we may as well but I think, I think it kind of fits in a little bit because the question he posed was let's uh, let's slam a spro and put our armchair GM hats on for a moment <laughs> shall we I'm always slamming yeah. spros bro <laughs> which pending you RFA and you of phase would you prioritize for extending as soon as possible does management have enough of a sample size to want to offer extensions to minimize costs on the back end that's part deep and it's a good question from part deep the obvious ones Pedersen and Hironic. those are the priorities RFAs UFA wise Thatcher Demko still has you know uh, two more years after this so yeah you don't you're not even you know exploring anything there you can't even explore a contract with Brock Besser until the summer anyways if you want to extend him but I think on that one you take pause you're like hey he upped his value for now and let's just at, even the most optimistic Brock Besser fan even if they hold on to him through the offseason I think it's going to be a matter of let's see how next year also goes before we start looking at an extension right like I still feel like Brock is going to be in tough to get a raise on where he's currently at yes long term he's going to be 28 yeah. looking at a massive contract when his contract's over and his last big deal is that going to be Vancouver is that going to be elsewhere but I think that's going to be something that's going to take time even yeah. if they are going to sign him so it's nothing you're, you're prioritizing right now so it's Pedersen and Hughes of course right they have UFAs however that are interesting Bavillier, who, mm-hmm. who we mentioned, Dakota Joshua, of course. You have guys like Tyler Myers, too, Ian Cole. And even on the lower end, we haven't seen um, Teddy Bluger yet, but he's UFA at the end of the season. Dakota Joshua is UFA at the end of the season. Sam Lafferty as well. Sam Lafferty as well. On Lafferty and those guys, I could see something in the new year, perhaps, if it's cheap. I just don't know if Vancouver's going to be spending significantly more than what Lafferty's getting paid. Yeah. Like Lafferty maybe ends up deserving a little bit of a raise, but we're talking 1.3, 1.5, you know, a 
maybe at the high end he could get two million in unrestricted free agency, yeah. but he's going to have to get back to 12 to 15 goals as the season goes on in order to earn that kind of a contract. And he's on a good run right now. Yeah. Now, if you could sign guys like him cheap on a one, e- you know, a couple years at a million each, I just don't know if he's going to be in a rush to sign cheap. It's like, try to have a good year and try to get paid, you know? So in terms of real, real, realistically speaking, it's just Hughes and, sorry, Heronic and, and Pedersen they got to get done. And I think that's the priority. UFA-wise, I think the only guy to, to be int- intrigued in at the moment is kind of how Ian Cole's season goes yeah. and how they feel about him. Do they look at maybe bringing him back or locking him in in the new year at a cheap deal, or similar deal for another year or two or something, if they like how he's playing? But I think the overall point that I want to make here is on Bavillier, on Tyler Myers specifically, even Dakota Joshua, right? Yeah. And I'd say not Ian Cole, but those other guys there's a chance that they might get flipped at the deadline. It wouldn't It wouldn't shock me, even if Vancouver's in a, in a playoff spot, because I do think they're going to be open to doing what you mentioned. They've shown their MO already. You saw it with the Dermot Hamannick trade. You saw it with the Horvat, then Heronic trade. Get assets and then go and get use those assets to address needs. So if they're looking to improve the right side on defense, and currently they have Heronic, Myers, and Friedman, and let's say they want to sign Bear as well, well, how are you going to add another righty without having somebody come out of the lineup? Yeah. So I think they would be open to moving Myers at the deadline, get an asset back in return. And could you do that, and all of a sudden you get something back, you go and get a Tanev even, and you're giving something up, but it's improving your defense for the playoffs. You sign them to, a, say, a two-year extension, and you're still not negative asset values. All you're doing is shifting UFAs around for you to go out and acquire something that can help you and beyond the season even. So I think in terms of extensions, it's just Hughes and Hronik. And the rest, it's really a wait-and-see situation. Um, as uh, we heard from Irv, you know, he doesn't think Tanev is re-signing in Calgary, and uh, that seems to be where things are going for the Flames. So he's likely to be a trade, um, a trade asset for the Flames as you get closer to the deadline. The question will be, is that something the Canucks might be interested in? And that's a scenario where it could work. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. More to come on Canuck Central.